Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Rosalie. Thank you, Catherine and uh, team. And, uh, well, it is, I, re- I resonate with Catherine's words that there is a little bit more excitement. It's great to have more than five people here. So we're, uh, we're, we're pumped and raring to go here, uh, no doubt. Uh, but thank you for joining us. And, uh, yeah, pray that you are uh, encouraged and edified by our time together this morning. Well, we continue our series in First Thessalonians and, and as Rosalie has just read, we're looking at chapter 4 and, uh, and, and it is about holiness uh, and also sexual holiness, which is the theme we're going to be talking on today. Uh, but before we get there, I suppose in some ways uh, we could say that, that life is about receiving and giving instruction. And uh, from the moment you are born... Uh, you are instructed in a way to live. Uh, your parents, uh, usually, through the example of your parents, I should say, is you are taught how to, or instructed how to eat and how to drink, uh, how to put on clothes, how to go to the toilet. Uh, all these sorts of life skills are taught when we are young and are, are given to us uh, in a, usually a clear and direct way. And and this is important. There are plenty of things in life that require clear and direct instruction. If I am to learn how to do scuba diving, then I need clear and direct instruction by the diving instructor uh, so that I don't do anything wrong. What what do I do? What I I don't do? uh, So I don't get into trouble when I'm under the water. When, When we're learning to drive, we need to be given clear and direct instructions Uh, Otherwise, we are putting ourselves or others at risk if we don't know what we are doing. Um, And so those those kind of ideas are matters of life and death, aren't they? But there are things where we need clear and direct instructions. Chris is just walking through the camera. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, (laughs) clear and direct instructions, case in point, maybe. But... um, we also need them when we're doing things that are not so life and death, don't we? Like, let's say, putting flat pack furniture together. That is not a life and death situation. But we need clear and direct instructions uh, to, to assemble the furniture uh, and that's why they employ technical writers to tell us how to put these things together uh, and where these different pieces fit in, in front of us. Well, as we come to chapter 4, Uh, This morning, uh, here in 1 Thessalonians, we find Paul turning his attention uh, away from matters of the past, things of the past, which he's been talking about in the first three chapters, and looking towards things uh, that are of the future, things that that this little church needs to turn their attention to uh, and matters uh, for matters going forward. Um, Timothy has returned with an encouraging report of the church Uh, It seems that there are still, though, some areas of their Christian life that need to be spoken into, that need to be addressed. And so in chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul writes to them about matters of holiness, sexual ethics, loving one another, work, uh, the return of the Lord Jesus and plenty of other things as he turns his attention to giving clear and direct instruction about these things. And this is certainly what we read in the passage we have before us this morning. 
Uh, It calls the church, those who are disciples of Christ, to grow in holiness and in particular in an area of sexual holiness. And so this morning what I'm going to do is we'll work through uh, our passage uh, very briefly, making some comments as we go and then I think it's worth making um, some broader remarks about, that are more, the more application, uh, applicatory uh, in focus for us today. Uh, but before we, we get there, may I uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, our time together now and we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are able to uh, come and to, to understand more of what you are doing. Uh, Lord, we pray that you may lead us and open our hearts and our minds uh, to what you have to teach us through your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you will notice in verses, verses 1 and 2 that Paul is talking about a matter of pleasing God. Uh, it's clear that Paul begins a new train of thought here at the start of chapter 4 uh, and Paul encourages the church to walk worthy of God and he's already done that in chapter 2 verse 12 and here he does it again but just in a slightly stronger language. Uh, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God. As you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And the Thessalonians have already been instructed uh, about how they should walk worthy of God. Um, they would have done that when Paul was there with his friends, when they established the church there in Thessalonica, there in person, and he, he is reiterating what they have already instructed and taught them, what they should already know. And here this, uh, we see this understanding of how we should live to please God. It's perhaps better understood as how we should walk to please God, how we should walk and please God. Maybe not in our physical walking, but in our walk in faith. For this is about a continued progress in the faith, a continued uh, walking in discipleship. It's a matter of discipleship that's not just short term, but that is long term across a journey, across a a lifespan of obedience and seeking to please God and become more mature in our faith. Eugene Peterson helpfully calls this a long obedience in the same direction. This is what Paul is calling this church to continue to do and have in mind. And so immediately we're aware that this new section of teaching that Paul uh, does is, is seeking to to speak into matters that are relevant to them and and matters that he wants to reiterate uh, to this church to help them and help the individuals in it please God. Second then we see that in verses 3 to 8 that he then turns his attention to matters of sexual holiness and one aspect of pleasing God is is the matter of sexual holiness and so he writes this, for this is God's will your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offences. 
as we have previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, in not wanting to oversimplify Greco-Roman society at the time, uh, we do need to recognise, though, the culture that the Thessalonian church uh, was in and consumed by. Because what we can say is that in the Greco-Roman world, uh, that culture was about as relaxed about sexual matters as any culture has ever been in the history of the world. And so it was very common, if not expected, that married men would involve themselves in sexual activity with other women such as prostitutes or temple uh, sex worship practices or female slaves or mistresses in, in lower classes and, uh, and that would be somewhat uh, expected or very common in this time. Uh, Demosthenes, I believe is his name, is one well-respected uh, Greek orator, stated matter-of-factly uh, in an attempt to praise wives, he said, Mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day well-being, and wives in order to bear us legitimate children and to serve as trustworthy guardians over our households. Well, that is somewhat of the, gives you an idea of somewhat of the culture this church uh, is in, and Paul as well. And so, we under, therefore, we can understand why Paul is writing to this church uh, and in this culture, and he, he, they are very tolerant uh, of, of various sexual practices and sexual activity outside uh, of marriage and so it shouldn't surprise us that Paul writes very clearly and directly in these matters, calling believers to be set apart uh, for God, set apart in worship and service uh, and following God uh, with their bodies and in this matter. And so given the straightforward nature of how Paul talks about things here and, and, and what, is, what is taught to us as disciples of Christ also taking in the, the, the wider scriptures. Um, what I think, well the question for us is, is well how does this apply to us? What, what can we take away from our passage today? Well today we live in a culture, don't we, that is very lax in regards to sex and sexuality matters. Uh, for the last 40 or 50 years, the world has opened up in accepting all forms and types and varieties of sexual activity, uh, from the quick and easy access of pornography to the sexualised nature of most TV shows and movies, uh, through to the opening up of sexuality issues in our wider society, we live in a highly sexualised culture. But I am not here to rally against what the world finds acceptable. Rather, I think this is a passage that calls us as disciples of Christ to assess our own hearts, uh, assess our own hearts and lives in the matter of holiness and particularly sexual holiness. And so off the back of this and the clear and direct teaching Paul gives us, uh, let me make a couple of more broader comments uh, about how, what we can apply for. Uh, how we can apply this and then make some specific marks in uh, sexual, uh, regarding sexual holiness. So one, 
Uh, We are to pursue a walk with Jesus that gives focus to pleasing God. The The scriptures call us to live lives that are pleasing to God. In his opening prayer to the church Uh, To the Colossians, the letters to Colossians, Paul says, We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. In this letter that we are currently working through, 1 Thessalonians, Paul has already raised this issue of pleasing God back in chapter 2, verse 4. And also in his uh, prayer just last week, chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. And Paul makes mention of this in his other letters as well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Ephesians 5, 8 to 10. You were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth testing what is pleasing to the Lord. In our call to Christ to to follow him uh, and our ongoing walk with him, we are called to please God, to pursue pleasing God. For in pleasing God, which is closely linked to this idea of striving for, for holiness, we are taking part in God's will for our lives. That is, we are becoming more holy, we are becoming more like Christ, And like a child seeking to please their parents, we seek to please God through our actions, through our attitudes, through our behaviour. Two, we are to pursue godliness not as the basis uh, for our acceptance by God but because we have already been accepted by him. The call for God's people to to be holy is a consistent refrain through Genesis, uh, from Genesis through Revelation. In response to the grace that he has lavished upon us through Christ Jesus, God calls his people to live holy lives, to be a people set apart for God. And this call to holiness is based upon God's own holiness because God is holy, we are to be holy. And it's so highlighted in scripture as uh, as God's holiness is shown through his character, through his actions, by his name, through his words. In Hebrews 12.10, it tells us that God wants us to share in his holiness and to live a life that is pleasing to him. Uh, For living a holy life is pleasing to God. It not only glorifies him, uh, but it is also an act of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, sisters and brothers, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed to the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. However, it is important to remember that our acceptance by God is not based upon our holiness. Christians are very good at making extra biblical rules, I think, aren't we? I think we do pretty well at that. Uh, you know, in order to pursue holiness, we make some extra rules that almost become 
uh, law-abiding and legalism. Uh, you know, we put in things in order to avoid sin and with the belief that if we, if we put a big enough hedge around the things that we are tempted by in our life, then we'll continue to live holy lives. And this can be helpful, but it can also spark more pride in our hearts as well. And there's also there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between living to avoid sin compared to living to please God. And because that, it's, very, it's very similar to what the Pharisees were doing in, in Jesus' day. They made a whole lot of extra religious rules around the law in order that they wouldn't transgress the law, in order that they wouldn't um, disobey the law or break any of the laws. And Jesus continues to pull them up on, on doing that. And so I think in a similar way we can, be, we, can, we can fall into that trap at times as well. But in regard to holiness, our acceptance by God is not uh, by the measure of our holiness, but we strive for holiness because we have already been accepted by God. Our acceptance by God is not by the measure of our holiness, but we strive for holiness because we have already been accepted by God. And the basis for this acceptance by God is through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. As we looked uh, a couple of weeks ago, gospel power produces gospel people. Well, it is the gospel that produces our acceptance by God. It is the gospel that provides us with our acceptance by God. We cannot have this the other way around. The Lord Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, has provided the only acceptable way to be accepted by God. It is through faith in his work on the cross that provides us with our acceptance by God and it is off that foundation we seek and strive for holiness and to please God. Three, we are to pursue sexual holiness. Paul calls the church and the disciples of Christ here in in Thessalonica to have a clean cut from sexual immorality. It's not simply a please shy away from this if you can kind of comment. No, it's an emphasis of completely removing any uh, or completely removing yourself from any form of sexual immorality. In taking a step back for a moment, we need to realise and understand that sex has been created by God for procreation and pleasure. All of us have been created as sexual beings who have sexual desires and sex has been created by a good God who has given his creation good things. Sex being one of those good things. God has intended this good to occur uh, within the context of a marriage relationship and we can read and understand that uh, through reading various parts of scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, Exodus 20, Proverbs 5, 15 to 19, Mark 10, 1 Corinthians 7, Hebrews 13, just to roll off a few there. Uh, but needless to say, it is, a consistent, uh, it is consistent with Christian teaching since the time of Jesus that all good sexual activity is intended to occur within the marriage context. But whether we are single whether we're previously married 
whether we're married now, we have to acknowledge that there is a call to sexual holiness in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Sexual temptation isn't something just for the young, uh, nor is it something for only those who are single. Sexual temptation occurs in all ages and stages of life and it doesn't doesn't discriminate. Uh, For those who are single, sexual temptation may feel more prominent, uh, but being married brings no less sexual temptation than those who are not married. The joys and challenges of sexual activity may be different, but sexual temptation remains, uh, as does the call to sexual holiness. One helpful way to pursue uh, sexual holiness is by understanding the intimacy that we crave. So, for, for at the heart of our sexual activity and seeking is, is the seeking after of intimacy. What becomes important, though, is how we manage our intimacy. We, we need to manage uh, our need for, for intimacy, otherwise it will manage us. In every expression of intimacy, uh, which includes sexual desire we, and, and activity, we need to ask ourselves what it looks like for us to manage our need for intimacy rather than allowing it to manage us. Uh, for this desire for intimacy, we'll seek uh, to be filled in different ways, uh, perhaps through sexualised friendships that shouldn't be sexualised, perhaps through the pursuing of pornography, perhaps through chasing after illicit sex. But it may not be anything sexual either. It may uh, be through excessive or intense friendships. It may be through uh, the constant need of approval from others or or through pursuing achievement in work or in study or in wealth or in whatever it might be. And whatever it might be uh, for you, managing our intimacy in healthy ways is important in order to find our intimacy tanks filled. And so nevertheless, we are called to holiness and in today's passage, sexual holiness. Whether you are young or whether you are are not, it is God's call for you. This is God's call for you. Whether you are married or whether you are not, this is God's call for you, as we read here in 1 Thessalonians. And if I go off script for a moment, I think one main aspect that this probably impacts, uh, certainly the statistics tell us, is the issue of pornography. And that affects whether you are single or whether you are married. The temptations of such are great uh, and, and that is the same whether you are male or female, although statistics suggest predominantly are male. But, but and what those stats say is, is that 80 or 90% of, uh, of people uh, have at least looked at pornography once in the last three months. And so going by that, that means that this, this is relevant to our lives. It's not just relevant to the world around us, it's relevant to each and every one of us as well. Uh, and so this is, this is an area, I think, where today... Uh, sexual holiness becomes uh, really a a prominent um, topic for us as we seek to to 
put in place things that will help us not just avoid sin but actually help us please God through seeking to be sexually holy around the issue of pornography. And so I pray that the Spirit of God this morning may instruct you as to the specifics of how you might work that out in your life. By all means, come and have a chat and I'm more than welcome conversations around this topic and this issue as well. But I do pray that as you pursue sexual holiness in your life, the Spirit may guide and open uh, your heart into to having people around you to support you or to be able to have at least the initial conversation. Four, uh, we are to pursue sexual holiness in a way that upholds others. So Paul makes a really interesting comment here, I think, about how one must not transgress or take advantage of another of another person in this matter. It's not entirely clear what he's talking about here. You know, it could be talking about some sort of affair, extramarital affair. It could be, could be talking about something uh, about the sexualised temple worship that they would do as part of their cult practices uh, there in, in the Greco-Roman world. Or it could be about sexual activity without consent. Uh, whatever it is, Paul, though, is upholding here Uh, the ideal of love and holiness in sexual relationships. He's highlighting how how sexual activity outside of marriage and inside of marriage can hurt others, can break trust, can can be unloving. In fact, he goes as far as to say that we should not transgress in this matter, in this manner. And so there's a word for us, isn't there, I think, that on how we treat one another, how we treat others in sexual activity. Self-centred and selfish sexual activity is not the way God intends sex to be. Uh, We see the selfishness play out when it hurts other people uh, through pornography and and sexual abuse, to use an example. Uh, But more so I take Paul's words here also to mean that there is sexual activity that is not honouring of the Lord. Uh, In other words, uh, when there is a lack of love and care there is instead this this selfish, lustful passion that overrides and and leads to taking advantage of another. And this kind of behaviour and attitude uh, can denigrate a spouse through improper sexual activity or or may lead to coercion or abusive behaviours. And Paul here, I think, is warning strongly against that uh, here. So whether we're in a relationship uh, or whether we're married, uh, we must be aware that, that there is a... Or be aware at least of the way in which we pursue sexual activity with our partner, our spouse, so as not to take advantage of them in any way, shape or form. In a dating relationship, for example, uh, or for want of a better term at least, uh, this, this would involve respecting boundaries beliefs, dignity. In marriage, this is, this is the same as well, recognising that marriage isn't some form of legalised lust. No, Paul, I think, speaks again clearly and directly here in, in upholding others uh, in our sexual holiness. And so, 
to, to uphold that, to honour the Lord in that, inside and outside of marriage. Uh, we honour God and we honour uh, our, our partner in doing so. And finally, in five, uh, by point five here, is that we are to pursue sexual holiness uh, while conscious of the purity burden people may carry. It is important to speak clearly and plainly on these matters as as Paul has and hopefully I have as well. Uh, But we also must know that and understand that God is a gracious God, that God forgives sin and he forgives sexual sin, sexual sin and, and all other sin too. Growing up in the church in the 90s, I, uh, one of the big teaching elements or points to all the sex talks that I heard during that time I rem- cannot, that I can remember was around this issue of purity, uh, which is better, probably better described now as, as something called purity culture. Um, not to say the Bible doesn't teach purity, uh, but it framed in such a way that there was an overemphasis on sexual holiness that instead of freeing people through the grace of the gospel, rather burdened people with legalism and law. Purity culture, for example, would teach that girls and women are responsible for the sexual thoughts and feelings and lusts of men. Uh, therefore, conservative dress and, and walking and talking in so-called appropriate ways and and even purity promises were made in order for, for them not to be a stumbling block to the boys and the men, in this case, in the youth group. You know. And boys would be taught to bounce their eyes uh, so that they would no, not linger at, at a woman's body too long. Um, and I suspect if you were brought up in the 90s or maybe between 35 and 55, this might be ringing bells for you. Uh, as well. But what purity culture uh, did was overemphasise uh, sex, it de-emphasised grace and it added these unnecessary rules to male and female relationships. And that's had a very negative effect I think on many people, particularly uh, many women in the way they think about sex and the way in which they think about themselves. And while Paul is calling all believers to sexual holiness here in 1 Thessalonians, we must remember the gospel. Sex matters and there is a time for pleasure through sexual activity. Sexual immorality matters and there's a time for cutting ourselves off from sexual immorality. And sin matters and there is a time for repentance. And the great thing about the grace of God is that no matter how burdened we feel, no matter how horrible our sin, no matter how broken we feel inside, no matter uh, how, much we've slipped, how many times we've slipped up or, or how much we feel a failure in our faith or that we believe that we are, the grace of God is there for us. The great thing about the Gospel, about what God has done for us in Jesus is that he doesn't want us to walk away from him because we know because of the things that we know we have done and because we feel that we are just too unworthy or too much of a failure in this area of sexual holiness but instead he wants us to come to him 
He wants us to come to him. Paul is teaching this not to burden people, not to burden us with, with, with us looking back and going, oh, what have we done? No, he wants to encourage us, encourage us in the grace of God to pursue pleasing God. He wants us to understand the overwhelming and unbelievable love and grace of God and what he has for us. A familiar passage for you perhaps, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. And so like the psalmist in Psalm 51 verses 10 and 12, we can cry out to our gracious God and we can say, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not banish me from your presence, but take your Holy Spirit or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. When we feel like a failure in the faith, when we know that we have sinned sexually, God still loves us, God still forgives us because what he has done for us on the cross. And just when he does, and just what he does with sin, other sin that we have in our, our lives, God is there for us and his grace is sufficient for us. In the words of Paul in Second. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. God's grace is sufficient for you, sufficient for me. His power is perfected in our weakness. Let's remember that uh, this morning, particularly around these matters of sexual holiness. This morning we celebrate communion together um, and in doing so we recognise that these elements of bread and uh, wine symbolise Christ's blood and Christ's body. Christ's blood shed for us, Christ's body given to us. And in these, in these elements uh, we find symbols of grace, grace for us. I'm sure more could be said about these issues of, of sexual holiness and other things I've said today but it is clear in Paul's teaching that he, he doesn't lose sight either. Of, of, it's important for us not to lose sight of the grace of God for us through his son. Don't, don't lose sight of the ongoing long-term nature of what it is to become more and more like Christ. And as Paul closes out um, this passage in, in verse 7, uh, he calls the disciples of Christ, uh, he tells them what to do and that is to live in holiness. And he calls us, that, uh, calls us to do that as well. And the call of God as disciples of Christ is to become more like Christ, to grow in our godliness, in our holiness. 
because we are now in Christ. We are being made holy through the work of God in our lives. For this is God's will, our sanctification. As you take the bread and the cup this morning, wherever you may be, consider um, how Paul exhorted uh, all the believers to examine themselves before eating and drinking these elements. I'd encourage you to do that this morning, even pause uh, where we're at right now and and grab those elements for you. Um, But Jesus, at the time of the Last Supper, took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. And he also took the cup, saying, this is my my blood shed for you. And in the same way, I'd encourage you to, to take the time to come before God, to to repent of any sin that you feel is is there within your heart uh, that you need to confess to God, but also to remember the grace that God has for you. And the matters that we've talked about this morning, come before God with a penitent heart, a, 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 a humble heart, and know his grace and his forgiveness for you. Let's be a a humble people. Let's be a humble people who pursue holiness in light of the grace of God. So we're going to, the band are going to come up and play and they're going to play our final song for today before we close in prayer. And um, I'd encourage you to to take the time to, to think about the things that I've, I've spoken about, to, to read the passage again or to let the words of this song uh, wash over you as you sit there in prayer. And remember that these elements are God's grace for you and they symbolise the work of God, the work of God's Son on the cross for us, a great grace given to us. So I'm going to hand over to Chris and Gerald, Rosalie uh, and Ken and as they lead us through and then I'll come back and pray after the, after the song has finished. Thanks. Thanks, John. Certainly challenging. Certainly challenging. Yeah, I'd like you to think about these words as we go through here. This, with all I am, into your hands I commit again. And uh, we can kind of find ourselves caught in places that we don't want to be. And... This is a great time for, with communion just to reflect and, and just really just come back and circle back to Jesus and say, Lord, I just want to put my life in your hands again and commit again to following you.
Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for uh, the remembrance of you and for what you have done on the work of the cross. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us through your Son, Jesus. Lord, as we are reminded to pursue holiness this morning, may we do that in ways that please you. And Lord, may we appreciate the good things that you give us. 
and we thank you uh, for them. Uh, And we pray that we may uh, pursue them in the ways in which you have intended for us as we seek to please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.